I'm Dr. Barbara Becker-Holstein, and I am back with my colleague, Debbie Stoltz. Stortz? Stores. <laughs> Stores. I wrote it right this time, De Debbie. Right. I know. And we are here to invite you to Old Time Radio. We have, this is our show, it's Old Time Radio, and we go back in the past, we go into adventures, we go into parts of our lives that are fit to print, we go into humor and scariness, and this is Halloween month, so you might be a little scared up your spine when we get going with a couple of stories, and... Um, we have lots, we never run out of anything to talk about. So um, some of you may have seen our last show where we actually finally had something absolutely hysterical happen. And uh, we got such a kick out of it. Where is your cat tonight? I don't know where she is, um, but she's been in here a lot because the chair in here that I just recovered is filled with cat hair. So oh, okay. I, I think she's sleeping on my bed in the other room. Okay. Maybe she's well, scared because we're doing a Halloween show. Yes, she she's may be scared. Right. She's and yes, and we had such a laugh. I I cleared out all my internal organs with that laugh when the cat cat's tail was doing a dance that it was like duck shoot. I call it yes. duck shoot. An old duck shoot. And but, um, hilarious. And she had a probably a more important message to serve than we had. So um, well, I'm going to try to just muddle through because I usually have my white Russian here to drink for our show. But I forgot to bring it upstairs. Today's oh, my no. day. And we just went out and I could give a plug to Cousins Restaurant in Manalapan, um, which is or Marlboro, which is probably the best seafood restaurant. I've ever eaten in, um, except for La Bernardin in New York, which is phenomenal. But I don't have my drink because we ate so much that I uh, came up and I forgot my drink. So there we go. All right. Off to the show. We had several themes that we thought about talking about. And one of them is tied into fairy tales and books we've read and how they influence us and what they have meant to us. And I could just say that for me, I loved fairy tales. And unfortunately, I think in terms of really being a woman uh, in our culture, they didn't always have the best effect because I believed a lot of the stuff when I was little. I, I believed like a lot of my friends, I think believed that we were going to be swept away by an extremely handsome fellow that was going to find us. And it's, we almost felt like he really would come in and on a white, beautiful horse. And I don't know. I mean, it was all mixed up with the images of the fairy tales or we'd be, you know, someone would kiss us and our world would change. Now, I think in reality, we knew our lives were going to be more like we saw in our real world. We knew we weren't going to live in a castle. But I think the negative part was that 
we overexpected what others would offer us in life. And when you marry someone or have a relationship with someone, it's hard work. And you have to learn how to adapt. Well, that never really happened in the fairy tales. So I think it's it's something that, well, it's part of our culture and, and I enjoyed them as children, so so be it. And um, I discovered that we're all human as I grew up. And um, I knew when I met my husband, well, I had this, okay, talk about psychic things. When I met my husband, it was a fix up. And he walked into the apartment I lived with when my two girlfriends, we were going for our masters at Boston University. And in my head, I've told this a million times, but I think, I think it's interesting, a little bit psychic. A voice in my head said, you're not going to believe this, but you will marry him someday. Hmm. And I did. And um, I don't know who, where that voice came from, but it's possible that my unconscious was sizing up, you know, something. Yeah, I think you can pick up a lot of subtleties from people that you really don't know how to put into wor words. Or maybe I was slightly desperate because I had turned 22. Maybe that was part of it. And I was, um, what was in my head was that we were supposed to get married around that age. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. it's a big deal. So um, what do you want me to talk about right now? How I felt about fairy tales or books or films that influenced me? Um, what pick a subject? Well, I wanted you to reveal something since I just revealed something. Well, I believed in fairies <laughs> because I had a grandmother who was very magical. And the woods behind her house were, um, it was an amazing forest. And she knew every plan and everything. And she would tell us about fairy rings. And if people don't know, in Ireland, a fairy ring is like a ring of rocks or a ring around the trees that at night the fairies come out and they do a dance at night when no one can see them. And kind of like the fairies in Walt Disney's Fantasia. And we truly believed that 100%. But when it came to men, more than fairy tales, I was influenced by the movies that I saw as a kid. Now, the movies were all in theaters in the 30s and 40s, but when TV started, it needed product. So all those movies were on TV all the time during the day. Harry Grant, Tyrone Power, these gorgeous guys, you know, um, I don't you know, Randolph Scott, Alan Ladd, Gary Cooper, and they were always bad boys. But at the end, the girl had all this tussling with them. But at the end, it was like this giant love affair that just was unsurmountable, you know, or could be surmounted, I guess. I don't even know if I'm using the proper grammar. But I believe that's what life was like. And in a way, it was like that in my marriage. I mean, I met my husband and he was kind of a bad boy and he became the best husband in the world. But I had always believed in that giant sweeping, you know, Every woman in the world wanted him and he was bad, but you could tame him because his love was just unbridled. 
And that was my thinking. And to segue into books, I love D.H. Lawrence. And I read Saturday's Lover and Sons and Lovers. And I read all those, I guess, kind of bodice ripping, but but great literature also. They weren't Mm -hmm. like, you know, like these supermarket paperbacks. They were great literature. So that influenced me a lot. That was well, you're making me think of a lot of other influences. And I was very influenced by certain songs. Mm -hmm. And um, one of them was Kismet, the play Kismet and the music that went with it. Oh, I forgot before that, I want to mention that when I was little, somewhere between about seven and 11, no, seven and nine, I had a song in my head that was very, very uplifting to me. And it had no words, but it was a, it had that kind of sweep that is almost uh, sexual. You know how certain music takes you to certain erotic levels somehow. And I remember saying to my mother, we were in Washington DC on a vacation, whether um, singing the song to her. Well, I tried, of course, it came out totally muddled because there were no words and I was just trying to get the melody out. At that point, maybe I was nine-ish and then the song disappeared, it left. And I always wondered whether I was just a very peculiar child, but I did have one little girl in my practice who said this, she had a song and then it left when she was 10 or 11. So that's as far as the information on that. But when I heard Kismet, it got me very stirred up in ways I didn't really understand. And it's something about the notes going from low to high. And I still don't fully understand what combination of notes, but believe me, there is some. So after Kismet, maybe I was, now I was a little bit older, 12, 13, I was insanely in love with um, Unchained Melody. I would play it over and over and over on the record player. And then I would lie on the couch in the living room. Swooning. You know, it's like the sense of mystery and depth of connection between people that, had been withheld from me in my whole childhood. It's like there was going to be something behind this curtain that was going to finally open up, you know, and I was kind of, I have to say I was mad for it. I wanted to enter this other stage that I didn't really understand. Although my girlfriends and I spent a whole year talking about what we thought was everything about being a grown-up and um, when we weren't calling and ordering pizzas for families we didn't know to be delivered to their homes, you know, yeah, that's really on that line of childhood and, and early teenagehood. And I did have, um, what I would do, I tried to smoke. You know, smoking was very common, much more common than today. Right. And I would go into my bedroom and lock the door, and I'd have a cigarette with me, sit on the bed, 
thinking about, again, these illusions of getting older and so on. And I'd take one or two puffs and I'd have just a very good choking cough and I'd put it out, you know. But, so for two um, seconds, you were Greta Garbo. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then I had some sort of book under the bed. Uh-oh. I don't remember what it was. It could have been, well, it was something I wasn't supposed to have under the bed. And we had a cleaning man at that time once in a while. And one day I came home and I went into my bedroom and the book was on top of the mattress. Uh-oh. You know, he had obviously turned over the mattress and left it. I don't think cruelly, just he thought he found it. And maybe I had forgotten it was under there. Do you remember what the book was or can't you say it? I had a book like that. too. Yeah, I'm not sure because um, it was something, you know, what I shouldn't have been. I shouldn't have had it. I don't know whether one of my girlfriends lent it to me or whatever, but. Well, I had the story of O. Which oh, is, well, that was, oh, yes. O. That was a big <laughs> sensational book. Yes. Another one called Poor Cow. And I've just been cleaning out our family home and I found my book, Poor Cow. So I'm going to reread it. And the last time I read it was in about sixth grade. And we were all a titter after reading that. It was passed around <laughs> sixth grade. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, really, you know, that was, uh, of course, you know, is another thing that kind of segues into young adulthood that uh, we used to sit on the sink in grammar school and stuff our little training bras with toilet paper (laughs) so that we looked like Dolly Parton, you know, and that was in school. And that was fun until we sat on the sink and it fell off the wall. And the nuns went crazy. They went bananas. But they really didn't know what we were doing. They just knew we were sitting on the sink. But, yes, uh, yes, I'm sure. Yeah. So I think about it. There were so many streams that really influenced me, one of them being fairy tales, one of them being music, and, of course, the movies. Right. And the movies made me feel that absolutely romantic love was that was the, that was it. You know, that's what happened. You had romantic love and uh, anything else was, you didn't quite get there. Something like that. Again, I don't really think any of these things clearly prepared me for growing up. They're just the, you know, the, the atmosphere, the atmosphere was created. And if my parents, particularly my dad, had not been extremely concerned that women were being cheated out of opportunities. That was really his one of his streams of life work. I'm not sure that I would have moved ahead in my career. Let a, I might have been a teacher. I don't think I ever would have moved to be a psychologist. I don't think I ever would have had the courage to be a filmmaker and do all sorts of other things. But his attitude was so insistent that women needed to have careers, go for what they love to do, um, not not, um, depend just on their husbands. And I would say he would even say it was okay if you didn't marry. Although he was, that was part of the culture, you know. 
Um, so that would be, but he was really um, amazing, amazing. And coming from a uh, immigrant home, he was the only child out of four even born in this country to have such high hopes and beliefs about what women could achieve. And um, I may have told this little uh, story, you know, now we've done so many shows, I'm, we're going to have to categorize what we talk about. <laughs> yeah, right? um, my mother came from a family where her great uncle, not her great, my great uncle, her uncle, who was kind of head of the family, had said to her, you're going to graduate high school, you have two choices. You can either, um, uh, either go to work in um, the major department store in Boston, um, Filene, no, yeah, I think it was Filene. Um, and be a, a clerk or sales lady, or I'll pay for you to go six months to Catherine Gibbs. And of course she chose school. But she was 18. And then by the time she was 19, she was married to my father. So you can certainly see that she wasn't really happy with either choice. Right. And since the relatives, someone in the family had said to her, maybe more than once, you're beautiful but dumb, her aspirations were pretty low. And one of the first things my father did in their marriage was he brought, he was a guidance counselor at that point. He brought home an IQ test and made her take it. Oh Lord. And she was amazed. She had a very good IQ, really. And um, certainly with no help from her family, except they, you know, they lived a decent, normal middle-class life, but nobody was pushing her to do anything. Yeah. And um, made a big difference. Uh -huh. She perceived herself. So um, I was very, very, we were all so proud of her because she even got a master's in education. She just kept going. She became the energizer bunny once she realized her own potential. And like, you know, my mother, I, I was never raised that I would ever have to work. But um, and my father never talked about women, you know, in the workplace because my mother, I just found the scrapbook today. My mother at 22 years old was the fashion editor of the New York Times. Oh, at my 22, God. 22. That's a big job. Amazing. <clears throat> and she also um, was the youngest graduate of Columbia University. So she went, she was recruited. <clears throat> so, I mean, she was a big career woman and. My mother was funny when she got older and she couldn't remember that. Well, she always said she gave up her career and she retired in like the nineties or something, but reading her diary every day, it was like uh, when she was 30, she stopped working. So it was uh, funny, you know, her memory, how it went at the end and, and she just thought she worked longer than she did, you know, but what other, <clears throat> what other movies, um, not about romance, but big films that you saw when you were younger influenced you. Well, the, you Ten the Ten Commandments did to some extent. Uh, I think even though I was young, I realized it was overdone. I really couldn't imagine, you know, Moses looking exactly like they dressed him and uh, 
I, I was always offended in these great old movies if the w- women looked like they had lipstick on, you know, like, how did they do that 2,000 years ago? Although I know that the wealthy and the princes and the princesses and the queens did have access to, to different compounds that worked as, as um, cosmetics, but it really took away a lot of the grandeur to try to do that to the actors and actresses. Right. That was powerful. Um, and uh, you go ahead. Maybe you will trigger me. Well, I, had, I had two movies that, well, first of all, I had um, a movie that really influenced me. Uh, and a lot of people will have this as a reference was Jaws. Because when Jaws was um, in, the, in the movie industry, with the, it coined the term blockbuster. Um, there were lines around the block. It it terrified me for the rest of my life, just swimming in the ocean. And on, a, on so many levels, it was just an incredible film. And I did my paper, my one of my final papers at film school on Jaws. Two other movies that influenced me very much. One was called The Curse of the Cat People. And although it sounds like a horror movie, and it was the sequel Val Luton's sequel to Cat People, which was kind of a horror movie. It's the best coming-of-age children's movie that I know of. It's it's just phenomenal. And if no one's seen it, it's a black and white, beautiful, beautiful coming-of-age children's story about a lonely child and her imagination and living in a town with big houses and the the saga and story of the headless horseman is in there told in the best way possible. And another movie that influenced me was called the list of Adrian messenger, which influenced me so much that I named my son after the boy in the movie. (laughs) And I named my farm that I had after the estate in the film. Fantastic movie, big cast, it's a mystery, as Kirk Douglas, Robert Mitchum, Tony Curtis, Frank Sinatra, Burt Lancaster, uh, George C. Scott, you name it. And List of Adrian Messenger, is, it, 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 it's an amazing film, and I try to tell people about it as much as I can so that they experience it. So those were two movies that really popped into my head when we thought of this subject, you know. Well, I'm thinking about uh, Walt Disney and... Um... I really enjoyed a lot of his movies, but the one that really frightened me to the point of um, feeling weird inside almost when I saw it was Alice in Wonderland because there were so many, you know, there were strange animals and creatures and um, things were bigger than they should have been or smaller than they should have been. It was for for the script, but I found it very scary and actually also found uh, the Headless Horseman. I don't know if that was Walt Disney or not. Very scary. And believe it or not, I found cartoons very scary. Oh, they are threatening. They always. Yeah. I, I, and I didn't like that they would always, um, you know, punch someone and then he would dissolve and come back. And it was a little bit much for my taste, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I have found that the three uh, three sixty stuff headphones that you can now put on, yeah. where you can 
be in Africa and see all around. Yeah, like the virtual reality. Re- virtual reality isn't for me. It's, yeah, it's too weird. It, yeah, um, I think that... I don't like technology, so I like reality, you know? Yeah, it's too much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as books, now that was another thing I hadn't put on the list, but I was an avid reader. Reader, uh, life kept was full for me with books. They really, really enriched me. And I took them very, very seriously. Barbara, did you read the Nancy Drew mysteries? Did I read them? Yes. And I owned probably 20 or 30. I think they're actually still in the attic, but they're going to be too dusty and moldy for any purpose at this point. They were wonderful. But you will enjoy this, Black Beauty. Oh, Anna Sewell. I read Black Beauty and I cried for two two nights and my father and mother tried to pull me together. I was like a wreck. Yeah. It it touched me so much. It was so beautiful. And I think in the end, doesn't he get to live on a farm or somewhere? Yeah. Well, they all pretty much are like that. Even uh, Smokey the Cow Horse Thunderhead. Speaking of that, I was always a horse maniac. Yeah. And um, every time I see Thunderhead and he takes his halter off and lets him free, I sit there and I cry like I'm four years old. Yeah. I just, animal story, Old Yeller, my God. Um, Disney's Old Yeller about the dog and they had to go shoot him because he had, oh my God, you know. Well, I even Dumbo, the little elephant cartoon. Oh, yes. So upsetting, you know? Yeah, and I guess it's good for kids. They build some fiber, some emotional fiber, getting through some of this stuff, Um, I guess. Well, we're going to talk about, uh, it is Halloween show. Let's get into some psychic moments where you felt something psychic going on. Can you talk about something like that? Yes, I can. Well, I have already shared one, uh, which changed my life and marrying somebody. Um, I shouldn't say somebody, Russell. Okay, you (laughs) met Russell. He's a very lovable man. And he, um, it's been good. So anyway, um, I had something happen after my father died. And what happened was it was about a year after he died or a year and a half. And I was asked to speak to a group of women who were all healers in any fashion, like masseuses, um, even in uh, sports, um, teaching women in um, athletic settings like the gym, social workers, a few psychologists. And these women would meet once a month in a library that was about 20 miles from here. So. I went and um, I talked about my concept of uh, enchanted self and looking and finding not only the best of yourself, but having enhanced moments and knowing what, how to make your life pleasant and and uplifting. Uh And um, okay, this went on and on. And I had just written a little storybook of stories that I dedicated to my father. 
So I talked just a tiny bit about him. And afterwards, um, there was a room we went to and there were women asking me, one or two brought, bought a book from me and I, I was the star, you know, and that lasted about 30 minutes and then they were all going to start to leave. So I picked up all my papers and stuff and I got in the car and I started back down Route 18. Well, I was almost at Route 18 to come home and I realized I had left a pile of papers and photographs from my workshops that I used to do. And it's just such a nuisance to call a place and then have them have to send it or I have to drive back. So I turned around and I went back, got out of my car. I'm going toward the back of the library and the back door was still open and there was a big, big, tall woman. And I'm five, seven ish. I'm not short. She was tall. And she came towards me and she said, oh, thank God you're back. Your father visited me while you were talking. And I said, oh, you know, I was really kind of astounded. And she said, yes. So I said the natural thing. I said, so what did he say? (laughs) And she said, well, first of all, he's fine and he's very happy. It's just beautiful where he is. Don't worry about him. But he did have a message. I said, okay, what was the message? And she said, um, the message was, you were right. And that was it. I went in, I got my papers, and I started home. And you know, when you're kind of in an altered state, you almost feel like you're flying on top of your head or something. You know, I was trying to figure this out. And what I came up with was two things. Um, One was that I had been studying Judaism for really the first time in my life that I really had a teacher and was processing some of the major concepts. And I had always been a a believer in some sort of heaven or afterlife, but was interested to know more. And I discovered in Judaism that there were, there are actually seven main concepts about heaven and Each one has its major points. I won't take you through them, but they're pretty well established through the centuries. And I, that was good. I I felt happy about that. And I, my father and I would go to walk for walks around here when he visited. And I tried to explain these concepts and he was an atheist really at heart. So he would listen though, he's very courteous and he would listen and say, that's very interesting. And what else did you learn? You know, he was always the, the teacher, the listener. And so I thought perhaps he's thinking uh, from heaven or wherever this is that I was right. There is something. And the other thing was that he was the kind of person that would listen carefully and often say something like, wow, that's a wonderful idea. Maybe you're right about that, you know, to someone who brought up a new type of toilet or something. No matter what it was, that's the way he responded. So if I had to pick a a saying by my father that was repetitive, that he often used, it's you're right. Wow. There you go. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, um... Interesting, I have a lot of life changes going on with me. 
And I actually was so, and I'm not going to go into it, but making a decision that was probably the hardest in my life. It almost feels like another death. But I have a psychic, um, actually a very, my best, one of my best friends is psychic, but she knows me too well. And another one that I contacted this week. And she not only tells you dates, things that are going to happen. Um, you never, I never ask her a question. She just tells me. But she said to me, um, I feel Saks Fifth Avenue. I don't know, Saks Fifth Avenue. And my mother was, her first thing she did was a model at Saks Fifth Avenue. And um, another psychic thing that happened to me was traveling to my second favorite city in the world, New Orleans. And when I got there, I knew where to go. I had yeah. been there before. Mm -hmm. It was weird, but I just knew which direction to go, what's down, what street. Not not like, you know, verbatim, like I had been there 50 times, but I, I felt this sense that I had lived there or been there. And um, I, I always feel that way. I, I tried to make a pilgrimage there about every five years at the longest. But it's uh, it's very strange when you go to a place and, you know, and, and other things too, you can go to a place and you feel like you've been there and you know it and you feel great. And then you can go into another place that's perfectly fine. And yet you have this horrible sense. Yes. I had that at Walmart this week. I said, I will never go in that store mm -hmm. again. I didn't have any bad experience. I just had this creepy feeling and watching everybody walking around like zombies with masks on, it just really, it made me feel really weird. And I never want to go back in again. But it's funny how, you know, and it's nothing to do with your childhood because these things weren't even around when I was a child. But it's funny how this, probably a past life, mm -hmm. maybe you believe in past lives. Well, I do too, yes. Because yeah, there's something that makes mm -hmm. Familiar, and um, yeah. yeah. So you know, yes, I uh, had I've had some similar experiences, and also there are shopping centers and stores that so give me the creeps. I've never ever been able to give back, go back. I almost feel like I've got some sort of bad electricity that went through me or something. Yeah, do you have any around that we can talk about? Because I feel that way in cold. Oh, I'm afraid they'll, they'll sue me. No, no, they're not. Marshalls, Marshalls. No, Marshalls. I'm that way with Coles. I hate yeah. Coles. Yeah. I walk in and Target with the red circles and the red. I, I can't stand it. And uh, those are two stores that, you know, it's funny. Like, you know, it's really weird why we feel that way. And other people feel great in them, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I had an experience when I was in third grade. A little girl came to the school, and we would line up, you know, always lining up. And um, she and I thought we knew each other. We absolutely felt we knew each other. And as best we could, being eight-year-olds, but, they're, you know, eight-year-olds are pretty substantial, we would quiz each other, you know, did you go here? Did you go to the circus last summer? Did you do this? Do you have any, you know, we could never find a con any connection, but we were absolutely sure we knew each other. Wow, that's really, 
And they also say you have a double somewhere on this planet. Yes, I believe that too. Yeah, totally crazy. So we're going to talk about, I have my little list here, Barbara, of the things you want to talk about. Do you have any scary stories? Um, I have, you know, a couple of them, but if you want to start with scary stories, like a scary thing for Halloween. You go first. Well, you know, Halloween this year, my mother used to always get mad at me calling it Halloween. It's Halloween. So she correct <laughs> me. But it seems like these kids aren't going to have much of a Halloween and neither is anybody else. And it's my favorite holiday. Um, just for me to calm down, I put on a horror movie because it makes me feel like whatever they're going through is never as bad as what I'm going through. So it takes me into a different world. But um, before this house, I lived on a farm that was built in 1820, and I was the third owner of it. And not only did um, it make it to an investigation because it was so haunted, but I will tell you, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye and my parents' grave (laughs) on the life of my son that this is true, okay? It was a beautiful farmhouse. It was the DuPont son's estate. It had a 12-foot ceilings, a library with a ladder. It just was just an amazing, gorgeous place with horses. And supposedly, um, my son coming on the property, with um, going into puberty, which brings ghosts forward, and the fact that I had two horses, um, when they investigated it, supposedly, it was an Indian shaman in the Lenny Lenape tribe that was run over and killed by two horses. But in the time we were there, we had a lady waving, which is a haunting, does the same thing. My electrician, Mr. Hosley from Allenhurst, was working on the hallway and he was white as a ghost when I came home. And he said, I thought I saw you. But when I turned, it was another woman in a dress and she just kept waving. So he left the house. He was so scared. There were voices at night. It sounded like a news anchor. And a lot of times I would get up to go downstairs thinking that my son put the TV on or we left it on Mm -hmm. and it was nothing. There were knocks on the doors and the doors rattling. Um, down the basement, which was brick and dirt, the door down to the basement would bang, 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 bang on it. Um, we had a toy that my son had that my friend had taken the batteries out of and we didn't have batteries for it. And it was running with no batteries in it at all. Also, there were flames and cinders coming out of the fireplace with no fire on inside. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was just constant poltergeistal activity. The kids were scared to death because when I'd have a sleepover, these things would happen and they'd all be running and screaming and coming in my room. But I always felt it was a very warm entity. It just was a very, not a threatening thing. So... We actually had investigators there to look at the house that were legit. I don't know if you know about the Warrens at all, but, uh, you know, I mean, this was 
a real haunted house. And uh, that was, you know, my scary story. I loved it. I, I, I miss it. Never scared me, but it was. Was it, did you have trouble selling it with this history? No, I never, we never said anything, but everybody experienced it. The kids did, my friends did. Uh, my friend, you know, Augie, he experienced it. It wasn't anything that you had to, to wait for. You could, um, you could sit in the living room, you could hear a motor running, and yet you go outside and there was no motor. And then you come in the house and you mm-hmm. hear a motor. It was like a chainsaw. But it was, it, it felt protective. And, uh, you know, it was a great, great house. It was, it was history well, before. Yes, know? yes. Well, we live in a fascinating house because, um, as I've talked, I think, on another show, uh, S.S. Adams, the joke manufacturer and the uh, tricks and um, card tricks and things like that, he I think he had 400 patents or maybe 600, I forget now. Um, so we expected to find some, you know, scary type things maybe. We did find a joy buzzer and we found some fake money, but that was all we found, even though we were told there was money in a wall because he had had a fight with a son. And so the story was like he put cash somewhere just to play a like his joke history, um, so the someday maybe the son would find it or he wouldn't, you know. We never found it. But there were things that happened after, like when my father died, when Russell's mother died, um, there would be certain minor things like there's some extra noises. I think um, that that kind of thing reflects the person you've lost. You know, that was, that's the way I took it. Like a few months after my father passed, the the clock in the living room, which hadn't been wound in 20 years, you know, was ticking for like an hour and a half. Wow. And just last summer, I had a... Um, another clock that's part of a lady statue. And then there's a clock in the middle, uh, Victorian. We h- hardly ever wind it. And all of a sudden, um, it just was so busy clicking away. In fact, I recorded it on my phone. Wow. To have it. And then it stopped. So, you know, these are very, very subtle very not scary really because they're not repetitive you know but I do think that they indicated um that we don't know everything I I believe we don't know and um years and years ago not in my house but as a therapist um a client had gone to see uh, some sort of fortune teller and came back and said one of the things the fortune teller had said is who is BH? Those are my initials, Barbara Holstein. But I guess he couldn't figure out, like I wasn't a cousin, I wasn't a father, I wasn't a boyfriend, you know. So she never, why would she mention me? Right, exactly. I had another weird thing happen. My husband died in 1985 and we lived at a farm in Lakewood and I moved to Wanamassa. And um, I had to get up very early for my job. I worked then at the postal service and I was the first one in in the mornings. 
And I distinctly one morning when I was brushing my teeth, getting ready, I heard him say my name loud and clear. And it startled me. And I walked around the house. It was so weird. It was just so, it was loud. It wasn't like some ghostly whisper. I heard him say, Debbie. And then I went back to doing what I was doing and brushing my hair, whatever I had to do. And I heard it again, Debbie, distinctly. And I'll never forget that. And that was, I mean, I wasn't asleep. I wasn't overtired. I didn't have a hangover. I was, you know, bright as a bunny, sharp as a tack. And I heard him say, yeah, yeah. Did. Yeah. but I, I think one of the most wonderful things as we move to end the show um, is not so much um, the sort of scary end of what we don't understand about life, really, when you get right down to it, but the synchronicity that saves us so many times in life that is beyond anything we could orchestrate. Like when um, I had major surgery many years ago, I was already in practice and um, our house had doors in the wall, but they had never been pulled out, the sliding doors. And I didn't know I was going to need the surgery. A week before, maybe two weeks before I had the surgery, which was emergency surgery, um, a woman came and opened those doors between the rooms. We had talked about it, but we never had the right carpenter. It had to be someone who just knew how to do it. Right. You know, and he knew and he did it. So because those doors were now open and the living room, the foyer and the dining room could all be used as separate rooms, I continued my practice there when I was recovering. Not as many hours as I worked when I was well, but you know, I saw a few clients every day kind of thing. Right. Now in the pandemic, well, before the pandemic, I was also seeing some people at night or uh, in the early morning. Those doors were a lifesaver. And how do you explain they're ready when I didn't even know I would need them? I mean, you know, there's so many things like that. And I've told on the show already how we were in the motel with the bugs and everything. And then we ran into my son, Justin's um, teacher, art teacher, and we ended up at the hotel, one of the beautiful hotels in Disney World, because she had to leave her room that they had already paid for because someone was sick in their family. Okay. You know, there are just so many things that happen, like these marvelous systems of wheels and coincidences um the greatest computers imaginable and just so the timing is right and how many times did i cross the street in new york and some not many times but someone said be careful or something and there was a car or something i hadn't seen right once a man actually pulled me uh-huh yeah and i think many people have had that experience yeah Yep, exactly. So we live in mystery, but we live in wonderment. Most of it is wonderment. It's really amazing. Yeah. So I guess our wrapping up of the show is a wish for everybody to look at the secret mysteries and 
um, mystifications that are unveiled to us on Halloween. Um, getting back to nature, uh, we've already talked about getting more into ourselves and true to ourselves since the pandemic. Uh, and also just looking for these things and thinking there's something, maybe it's a lost relative, Maybe it's a guardian angel. Maybe it's your grandmother. Mm -hmm. It could be anything that the universe guarding over and watching us at times. Yes. And, uh, you know, don't look to be scared. I mean, Halloween is great fun if you celebrate it. Don't look to be scared. Just it's one more wonderment that we're allowed to enjoy by being alive and make it fun and make every day of your life something that's fun. Even if it, you know, even if it's some sort of vision you think about when you're driving in your car, going to stand in line to whatever, you know, um, go for a vision that feels good and brings back a laugh or just makes you feel whole because we can do it. And it really helps. It really, really helps to get through the harder times to practice loving not only ourselves, but our friends and everyone in our lives. And knowing that we can bring positive energy to each other. And Debbie has become a wonderful friend and, and, um, we love doing this. We love sharing it. And if you have ideas, let us know. Yeah. And uh, watch some of your old movies that you loved as a child. Mm -hmm. with Halloween. Everybody has one little movie that scared them. But because you've already seen it, you know what the outcome is. So right. watching it go back in time yes. as a child for Halloween. Yeah. I think that's a, a great thing to do. Yes. It's carve a pumpkin and don't eat too much of the candy you buy because I don't think we're going to have that many trick-or-treaters this year. But uh, anyway, so I guess that's it, Barb. All uh, right. Now, always look on Facebook on our pages because we will announce when we have a show. Um, and, you know, as I said, if anybody can give us topics or ideas, we talk about the past, our past, the past of our area, the past of our nation. Um, you know, interesting stuff. It so, is. Good yeah. night, everybody. Good what night. That's our sign off. Right? Well, good night. Take care. Bye bye.